Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Outside the Studio. I am your host, Tessa Tovar. I am really excited to be with you today. I have a, a very special guest. They're all special guests, but Corey Hahn is here. She's the author of Rituals of the Soul, among many other hats that she wears. She's a yogi, retreat leader. I think you're also a mom too. Am I, I am. right in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so many hats, very busy lady and um, very passionate about rituals. So I think I'd like to start by digging into the book, Rituals of the Soul. Would you mind showing us the cover for those people yes. that watch? <laughs> so I pulled that up so quickly. <laughs> you had it right there. <laughs> I did. I'm Using the eight ancient principles of yoga to create a modern and meaningful life. Yes. So tell me about this title in particular. I love titles so much. I'm also an author. And the first thing I do when I'm writing something is daydream up titles. Yes. So I think, yeah, go, go for <laughs> I it. didn't come up with this one, but it has been a morphing or, a, you know, it started as the intuition rituals because I was really focused on the science of intuition in the beginning. And then it became the manifestation rituals. Once I realized that the intuition was guiding us also to manifestation. And then from there, it became like something else. But, you know, I had a book coach who helped me a lot in this process. Um, after the fact, with once the proposal started. So I had really written the book on my own off intuition. And so she helped me really come together with that old and new concept. And I didn't think much about it actually until recently when I just got the book back. And um, in the past few interviews or podcasts that I've been on, they're like, there's so much you in the book that you wouldn't expect from that title. Cause I talk a lot about my travel experiences and there's a lot of travel narrative and personal story in there. And, um, but at the end of the day, it is really a well-fit title because you're seeing through my modern life, how I've integrated these ancient principles. And so, yeah, now I really love the title. I love it. I love the artwork too. It just, it really jumped out at me when I saw the proposal from new world library. It was like, yes, I want to talk to Corey. She sounds really cool. Like my soul nice. sister, even yes. though I don't know her. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> getting... it all like that in the beginning? Yes. It's so true. I love it. Yeah. So <clears throat> tell me about these eight rituals and how, how you came up with why eight, why specifically eight? Well, the eight rituals is, or the eight ancient principles, as the book title says, is actually the eight limbs. It's the eight limbs of yoga. So mm-hmm. And the book is set up really simply. Also, we kind of walk through each of those eight limbs. I just don't think limbs is a very modern usable word. We don't use that for any other system. So I think, what do we use? What, what words do we use for most systems? And it's like, you know, a process or, and that's what it is. And so here it's the eight principles, but it's really a stairway or a ladder, if you will. And you can really keep cycling through it. And so that's the basis of the eight limbs or the eight really steps that the yogis gave us. And they broke down each of those eight steps in with lots of old Sanskrit sutras, you know, so you can really dive into each one through the old text. And, and that's really, um, that's really what I believe yoga is actually so much more about not the two steps that most yogis are focusing on 
asana and maybe, you know, pranayama, Mm. but the entire, to understand how is this a spiritual system? Like, where is the breath and the body getting me? (laughs) You know, like, can we go deeper than that? And that's exactly what I tried to help the reader see that they can do through this yogic system is to precisely that after you do go into your body and your breath, go deeper, learn to feel. And when you feel all those limiting beliefs and that tough stuff and like, I want to be an artist, but I won't make any money. Like you just immediately heard your limiting beliefs. So that's the next step. And after that, once you really start to pull the weeds and it's not always the prettiest process. I mean, that's why it's a spiritual system, you know, but yeah. Um, And then the last one is really to believe and trust in this whole cycle and that what you're doing and all the work and all the pulling of the weeds and all the listening and simplifying your life, all this work we're doing as yogis in any form and any rituals guiding us to understand the entire system, Mm. really. So, (laughs) yeah, I love that. Thank you for that explanation. I am personally... I I'm fascinated by the eight limbs of yoga, or as, as you put it so eloquently, the principles. Um, I think that's such a nice way to bring it into the modern day vernacular. Um, And I'm always struck by the placement of asana and pranayama in, and I don't know, there's, this is a twofold question or kind of like pondering that I often have that I want you to react to too. And that is Number one, that asana and pranayama are like in the middle of the eight principles. So there's a lot of work that happens before you even get to that place. Um, and, and then second, is it linear? Like, is it meant to be yama niyama and so forth and so on? So are, are we needing to do all of this moral, ethical, um, intentional intellectual work before we even start with the physical practice of yoga. What are your thoughts on that? Love this. I love this. <laughs> it's so fun. I've talked to a lot of meditation teachers, but not yo- like someone who really understands yoga. So this is really fun question. I've goosebumps everywhere, oh, but I honestly believe that the yamas and the niyamas are just like the 10 commandments and you frame them and you put them on your wall and you remember that they're simple. Even the first five, the rules for becoming a spiritual being, I'm going to um, look at my book just. Yeah, please do. Here. feel free to read from it. Like if there's okay. something that you feel super passionate about sharing, do it. But our, the yamas are the rules. They just said, if you really want to be a spiritual being, you're going to have to do five things and you probably already do them. Be kind, ahimsa, don't harm. Be honest, don't lie, satya. Don't steal, asteya. Respect your body and life is sacred. Really know you're worthy. What are you doing if you don't believe you're worthy, you know? Brahmacharya and simplify, minimize, don't be wasteful. Aparagaya. And I might even pronounce those wrong and that's okay because that's what we do in our modern world. We don't say every Sanskrit word correctly. It doesn't make me not a great yogi. It just, you know, like so I got so into those details for so long, but yeah. that is simple. My dad does that. My mom does that. You do that. I do that. Like, so we could almost put that away. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you might need to come back to it to remember how, you know, may, oh, maybe I'm not simplifying as much as I could or you know, you could come back and look at it, but you don't have to worry too much, in my opinion. And then you have the niyamas, which are virtues. And I love these. It took me a while to get my 
fingers in the soil here of what's really happening. But these are virtues. And okay, so you talked a little bit about astrology in the beginning. I'm like, I have so much Libra energy and I'm a stellium. So I can tend to have a hard time making decisions. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm right there with you, Corey. Yes. yes. Okay. Tell me about it's, this. <laughs> so in one way, it's like such a positive thing because we're like open to so much, obviously mm-hmm. open into the spiritual and the mystical and occult. But at the same time, there's this, which way do I go all the time? And I believe these niyamas are helpful for that. Mm-hmm. And especially in the topic that I discuss in the book, which is dreams and chasing dreams. Like, how do you know which dream is really for your soul? And these niyamas will help you with that. There's sacha, cleanliness, which is, you know, clean the body with exercise, clear it out of what you're going to do is going to help you become a cleaner person, mind, life. That's good. Go towards that, you know, contentment, santosha. If it makes you happy, do more of it. It's so simple. It feels good to you. Do it as often as you can. Do more of what makes you smile. Then you have tapas, the third of the niyamas, which is burning passion, enthusiasm, excitement. And that just makes life exciting. That makes you want to chase your enlightenment in a sense. If you follow that, and then you understand how the system works. And study of the self constantly. Is this going to help you learn who am I? you know, by doing this dream or going in this decision and trusting in the universe, energy and frequency are scientifically proven influential powers and just learning what your spirituality is, even if it's just gravity and air and oxygen and water, like what are we made out of those three elements? You at least can give credit to that in the beginning and grow from it. But so I think if you print those and put them on the wall, you can get started. And that's where I actually, in the book, guide my readers to begin at that asana practice. But I don't see asana like most Western teachers, I believe. There's one sutra out of 200 and it says, make your asana, your posture comfortable and steady. What is all that other stuff? What is going on? Like, what is all that? So you're telling me the Iyengar and the ropes and the shtanga with the legs behind the head and the vinyasas two, three, four up down. Like what that was just later, you know, they just came up with stuff to keep people. But what does yoga actually mean? It means the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. If anything, yoga should really be based around your mental state of health. Mm-hmm. not your physical. Mm-hmm. But how often do we talk about that? Like for 12 years, I was so obsessed with my Ashtanga practice. Meanwhile, depressed and anxious is all get out. Should have spent some of that time working on my mental health, you know? Mm-hmm. So really learning to prep. The, I see asana as learn to get comfortable and steady. Here we go. We're going to start a practice right now mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard and it's going to be challenging but find where you can make the time in your body, in your schedule, and sit down, make some space. I honestly believe asana only means create space in your life, and let's let's move in that space. Mm-hmm. And then you learn to breathe and concentrate, and and so then we move into the limbs. But so I guess I don't believe that. I don't. I mean, of course, there's. They say there's karma that will lead you to this knowledge and to being like becoming aware and alert to this, you know, any kind of spiritual teaching that comes across your way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I feel like you can start, we do all start with asana, mm-hmm. but some people just get stuck in that first stage wanting perfection before they move on. Mm-hmm. And 
And like you said, you asked actually a second part of that question was, so then do we see it linear and with practice? No. So five years later, after coming up with this concept, and I'm just an average human, I'm not, you know, I don't know how to levitate or anything. So like, I'm very average, but like, yes, I can see now which stage of the eight I need to integrate, you know, if, and so I can see it not linear, but as very interconnected. And I think that this becomes really powerful way to practice yoga, in my opinion, when you start seeing the whole concept in this functioning purpose. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I, I think there's so much, I think you're right. There's so much emphasis, especially in our modern day kind of commercialized version of yoga on the asana being um, the thing to perfect and the thing to focus on and the thing that is most important. And I think I read somewhere in my notes about you that you rarely step onto a mat, like the physical practice, maybe these postures, the ashtanga, the vinyasas, the whatevers are not part of your daily ritual. Is that true? It's not the most important. I, I mean, I do have a mat. I am like, I love, I need that discipline. Like I go to my mat, but I might take my computer. I'm doing an astrology course right now, but that time on the mat is whatever I need to do for me. Yeah. So it's not like a set sequence, right? It's not like I did that long enough. No. I mean, now I've created my own sequence essentially with my rituals. Like, so once I became my son's five, so I've had a few years of figuring out how to practice yoga as a entrepreneur at home Mm -hmm. for the most part over the past while and um, really to create my own set of rituals I need 100 breaths a day but I'm not going to get those sitting on the mat because my kid's going to come in and say mom about 7,000 times and I'm going to be irate if that's how I want my meditation practice to go you know (laughs) so it's suddenly 10 minutes before getting in the car 10 minutes before we get out of the car or not 10 minutes 10 breaths Mm. So just really integrating it as much as I can. And that way I can stop and be alert to exactly what that one sutra about asana says. I can look into my body, my posture and say, am I comfortable right now? How do I feel? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And keep using my practices to really find clarity and truth in myself and do all the things work that needs to happen as compassionately as possible Yeah, in that space. I so I love that. That's one of the reasons I went with the title of Outside the Studio for this podcast and this platform because I felt like what I was seeing as and I was a very new teacher as I was starting to see this that so much emphasis was placed on like the perfection of the posture, the cessation of the mind in that idealized perfect state of meditation where you look like you are very comfortable seated you're very flexible. Your spine is very straight. You know, you could be on the poster of yoga journal, whatever, like that was the idealized state. And I felt like we were kind of missing the point with that, that if we show up to our mat and we do our practice and it looks beautiful and it's great and that's all it is. And then we walk away and we're assholes to ourselves, to others, yeah. we're missing the point. Right. So it's, it's, Fully. it's a practice. It's an ancient system to help us be better people to realize our fullest potential out there in the world in real time. It's not like we have to become monks and go, you know, hide in a cave and and meditate all day. Although that, you know, is a thing that some people do and feel called to do. And I'm not negating that in any way, 
I just think it's so, I love that. That's your approach of integrating here. I, I can have 10 breaths and this is like a reminder to pause and check in with myself and, yeah. you know, realistically, our life is a lot different than it was 5,000 years ago when the sutras were written or when That's the development true. of asana was being added on to, because you're right. It didn't, it, it wasn't like Ashtanga and Vinyasa and all of these practices was a thing. But they didn't then. have mats. I no. mean, that's what I really mean by even that, you know, comment that I can practice yoga all the time and never step on my mat is that mm-hmm. they didn't have mats. They, yeah, the, it wasn't a thing. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, I love and, that. And they went, I think with real struggles, like if, if you could imagine, I thought about this a lot and I, maybe I'm like slightly psychic, but I always have this vision of like a woman with a child and she goes into the yogi, this man that she sees with as such w- wisdom. And he lives at the temple and she says, I can't stop worrying about my child or about death or about this. How can you help me? And I believe that's really how it got started. They were mm-hmm. these medicine people mm-hmm. and they were really in touch with their intuition. And that's how we know so much about the sciences. In fact, that's what led us to cosmology or, you know, astrology or even holistic medicine and the systems of Ayurveda. They came up with these as more people asked them for help. And maybe, I mean, if you were someone sitting here who had all the answers, I imagine that most of the people that would come to you, it wouldn't be like I have this hip. I mean, maybe it would be a hip ache, but there would be a, a lot of mental struggle and, and worry and just real life things, <laughs> you know, like it was so yeah. much more than the physical. Yeah. yeah. I love that. It also has me thinking about the concept. You might be familiar with the text, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Prada, yes. I always say that wrong. Pradipika. <laughs> of Sanskrit terms and ways to pronounce it. So, but in that system of Hatha yoga, it's a start with the gross and a movement to the subtle. And at least from my understanding of reading, I've kind of like skipped around in it, but from what I understand is that it's easier for us to understand this physical meat sack that we live in as a starting point of a a microcosm to a macrocosm. So my understanding of that Hatha yoga system is that the reason we start with the body is it's because it's our machine. It's our tool. It's our mirror for how we're experiencing emotions and relationships and how we show up in our life. Once we've got that kind of dialed, then we can start to move into the subtle body stuff. That's my understanding of it anyways, but I I think think you're right. As you go through the eight steps, they're becoming more subtle. I mean, you're absolutely right. Even the first two, I said, print it out and put it on the wall. Can't Mm -hmm. be much more tangible and societal than that. Then you want to take it a little deeper. You go into yourself. You look at yourself. Then you go to the breath. Then you go into the energy level Mm -hmm. layers, which is Pratyahara. Then you go into the psyche and the unconscious psyche where the limiting beliefs are and the self-shaming dialogue and those ingrained, they call them in Buddhist sankharas or just conditioned ways that, you know, our inner child stuff, all that stuff lives there. And once you start to work that out, that's why I think the point of the dreams are because the dreams Mm -hmm. like highlight all that inner psyche work that we have to do. And once you 
However, you do the work there. That's when um, the Nicole LaPera, her amazing book, How to Do the Work, like you could put that book right into that chapter, you know, and there is so much of this, what we're talking about in our modern times with unconscious, um, you know, belief systems and inner child programming, like that mm. also fits into this book, even though it's never really talked about in the yoga scene like that. But mm. once you can do that work and heal that, and you continue on your path to manifesting that dream and you say a prayer to make it happen. And then it happens. I mean, in so many ways, we can even look at that, like you say, in the microcosm of the physical postures we make, like my first crow pose. I was so scared. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to make space. I had to create a comfortable steady position to get ready. I focused my breath, you know, I saw how I felt. And then there was like, oh my God, I'm going to fall on my face. I had to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. I had to trust in myself and believe that I could do this. And then I did it. And that's even the eight steps in one posture. So you can see in how it does start in the tangible and the physical and goes much, much more energetic, some somatic or unconscious, whatever you want to call it, but unseen essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, there's yeah. so many different directions I want to go because I, you touched on Pratyahara and then moving into uh, Dharana and Dhyana and Samadhi, which I don't often feel like, at least in my trainings that I've done. I feel like we get a very cursory skim over and it's so hard to articulate those types of ideas, concepts, practices that I I'm kind of want to converse with you about that so that we could have yes. more of a tangible, I mean, you just wrote a book, which <laughs> I'm sure it gives us some def- definitions or maybe ways that we can conceptualize these ideas. So yeah, maybe I'll start there. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Cool? And that is, you're right. Just like me. It blows my mind that we teach a yoga teacher training and it's all focused on asana. Yeah. It's all focused on the Hatha Pratapika, like you said, mm-hmm. and other ancient books, which come are much more modern, like Swami Satsananda. Those were 21st or maybe 20th century, but not that long ago. Whereas right. the, the, you know, uh, Patanjali's yoga sutras are much older and they spend a lot of time on these last three stages. Most of the book, yeah. one of the four chapters is completely designated to the CDs, the spiritual powers, understanding our superpowers and ourselves and the things that we can create. But like, it talks about levitation, introspection, like no one is talking about right kind of a big deal right well yeah you think about it like is that even possible or they're joking right (laughs) but I think what they mean is that essence and you know you really do become powerful the more you listen to your intuition and so Mm -hmm. I believe that the yoga sutras these eight ancient principles are divided into two sections so you have your yamas niyamas like I said printum um asana you create space pranayama, you start to breathe, you learn to focus and concentrate because we have really short attention spans. And if you aren't able to go single-minded and really tap, pull that brain together and you have, be mindful, like use it all, you know, or at least more so than, you know, whatever seven seconds most people have when scrolling. Like, so we, we do that. And then pratyahara is where you really for me in the book, I guide the readers to learn to 
understand where your meridians are, understand where your kidneys are. There's things you know are happening that you don't see. And to familiarize yourself in that way, if you're really science-minded and I sound like woo-woo was ever to you, cool. Like I wasn't into aura cleansing or whatever either. Like I don't put my crystals, I don't even have crystals. So I'm not like as woo-woo as it would seem, but learning to feel within and trusting that. And a lot of self-worth has to come to do that. Mm -hmm. So that might be a blockage along the way. But when you really go inside and you can feel in that Pratyahara stage, you get clear on exactly where your magnetizations are supposed to be, the people in your life, what job you're doing. And that's exactly what happened over COVID is people sat there and they learned to hear themselves because they didn't have anything to distract them anymore. And they were like, I actually hate this job. And some people are like, I actually hate you and you're my husband. I got to get out of here. You know. (laughs) So now suddenly everyone's changing their lives because they actually got in tune. And that's where we, we jump to those um, the, the last three limbs, which you talked about, which I just love, because this was the missing gap for a long time with the book. Probably why it took five years is I had to wait for two for this intuitive message to come oh. to understand these last stages. Because, yeah, it's a big topic and I'm just an average girl, <laughs> you know, like suddenly. But once you have, um, so then you set up some rituals in place. So you're always creating that space. You're always breathing and you're always feeling within to stay in touch with your intuition, but how are you going to become it? So once you know what you want and you become more clear through that first part of the book or the system, what are you going to do then? And you usually become very clear on why you're not going to, why you haven't done that. So you realize you hate your husband But then you guys own a house together and the kids and like, it's just, okay, I'll just stay a few more years, you know, or whatever. Like we just don't act on what we truly know we need for what a plethora of reasons. So getting really honest about that, this is actually what my soul wants. And through that questioning into the uh, seventh step, or is that what that would be the seventh? No, sorry. No, I, I usually don't. Him, I get them uh, backwards. I, I might be <laughs> dyslexic, <laughs> but it's the Dharana stage, and it's I call this one unblocking and becoming, and I believe it's that it's all the reasons we don't actually go towards our truth, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's a hard. This is the only actual action step of the process to manifesting is knowing what you want and making little steps actually happen to make mm-hmm. it happen, and that means. You want to go to art school, but you're scared. Go get over your fear. You know, you want to leave your husband, but you're, it's all comes back to, um, and since you are a yogi, maybe, you know, like a little bit about the kleshas and we don't talk about that much either, but these five life lessons, the yogis told us ages ago are going to screw us up on our mission. And that's craving, <laughs> avoiding ego chasing or ego boosting. Um, just not knowing misperception, avidya, you know, and that's, these things are in that stage. It's even described in the yoga sutras in that order. And it even tells us, so like when you tell yourself you can't say the opposite, that's a sutra, you know, affirmations, but they don't seem so ancient affirmations. It seems like it came with like what Esther Hicks or something, right? Like, yeah. And, um, that's where the hard work is. That's that one step. And when you can go in and do that work, 
and that might bring you to your knees and it might make you realize that you don't have, you know, you have to believe that you're worthy. You have to step in when they say play big and don't be small. That's that second to last step before we manifest where you really understand your worth to stand up for even like this, like a book you wrote or a podcast you believe in and really realize that you're doing this for something beyond just ego. You're doing this because you, tr- your soul truly wants you here to do this. And that's where that final step is these gifts, these manifestations, that crow pose, this book, this podcast, these are all gifts to spirit and the collective. This is not about building ego. And if you can give that away at that last step, you surrender and that's what they say, right? You quit trying to know when the time is, how it's going to happen. You just let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a samadhi, which is samadhi with seed. You've manifested something. From the seed, you grew your flower. And as you go through that process time and time again, and you start to see all the different layers of it, they're pretty simple, really, now that you know, now that you know how it works, then you can, um, yeah, your dream can become enlightenment. Why couldn't it? Yeah. And you could actually manifest that too. Samadhi without seed. Mm. <laughs> Mic drop moment. I just, it's so inspiring. I always, yeah, I think we get stuck in the fear state of, um, well, I think it's twofold. It's getting stuck in the fear state of making that leap and trusting that you're making the, I'm, using air quotes, right decision. And, um, and not wanting to have regrets, at least that's a big one for me, you know, because like you, I'm really open to all possibilities. There's almost like, um, information overwhelm or decision fatigue that comes in. And I always find myself questioning, well, how do I know this is the right decision? How do I know I'm not going to regret this once, you know, it feels good now, but like I could change my mind. I'm human. Right. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then, yeah, the fear state of, I don't want to make this decision from a place of fear. I want to make it from a place of intuition and soul and heart and that soul and that heart and that intuition state is it's so much quieter than the ego mind, like speaking in terms of Klesha's, the yeah. ego is just so loud. And I, I remember in, I think it was my first teacher training. I did um, our teachers when we got to studying the Klesha's, she was like, you're going to get, you're going to feel like you're on your path and you're building some momentum and you're going to start to see things change in a big way. And then that's when the glaciers are going to show up. That's when you're going to hit all of those roadblocks and feel like you've taken 500 steps backwards or you're hitting your head against a brick wall. And so the work is like, I believe this is what you're saying is to sit in the discomfort and ask those really deep, challenging questions. And, and this is a tool, these rituals that we create. Yeah to help us guide us, to help guide us through it, or to shine a light in those really challenging, dark, sticky, cobwebby places. Hi, Katie. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you can even look at it like, so in the beginning, I wanted, I've been doing so much, Tessa, all these years to prove my ego. Mm-hmm. And I think until COVID, I really took an eye opening look at that and observed it and didn't freak out and didn't try to hide it or change anything. Just was like, 
okay, so I worked my butt off to run all these retreats because I, in my head, wanted to to be successful. I told myself I wanted to make $60,000 that year or whatever. And so that was my goal. Mm-hmm. Not that I took a hundred women on retreat and changed many lives. And we had great, I mean, I'd say that with even ego too, you know, maybe like, but all of this was always to find my worth. And then also I've recently realized, and I think like a lot, this is a very modern topic, but like codependency, I realized that I was always getting my worth through my boyfriend or my husband who, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever romantic partner I had there. And even some of my friendships and, or how many likes and all of that is revealing ego. So like so much, even though that helped me realize this eight steps and there, we will do things for ego. Sure. And you could even use this eight step manifestation process to grow your ego, essentially, you know, Mm -hmm. but hopefully through it, you start to see where it's ego, just like you said, and you could gain this discernment by softening the ego's voice a little bit, or at least being able to navigate through it because you're right. It is loud. And I think that's speaking loudly for the insecurity and the lack of self-worth within really. Mm. It's so many of us are moving through figuring out. Yeah. I also think there's validity to that voice in that it's, you talked a little bit about like the patterns of childhood and the unconscious, that voice is there to protect us. You know, that voice is there to say, Hey, be careful. You don't want to get hurt. Um, You got to protect yourself. So it's not that it's not valid. It's not that it's not helpful. It's just that it goes unchecked so often. And it, it's under that line of awareness. I love Tara, Tara Brock talks about the, uh, the two, well, she talks about being under the line of awareness and the states of consciousness. And when you bring something up to that line of awareness, then you can look at it more clearly and you get to make a, a more conscious decision about whether or not you're going to question it or believe it. Oh, kitty. <laughs> if you're watching, you can see my kitty just loving on the mic. Um, yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's so it's so interesting, it's so valuable and and so I'm wondering what these we're talking about these eight rituals in terms of for those of us that are familiar with Ashtanga and the eight limbs, but what a, in a, in a practical sense can you walk me through? You you've kind of done it already, but will you say it again? Like 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 Sure. So, and I'm going to do it really brief and then we, um, it, it'll be easier to remember hopefully, but also like what you said about Tara Brock, I have this quote and I read, I, I don't know why I've come to this like so much lately, but in chapter four, it says, um, and it's a Jiddu Krishnamurti quote. And he says, if you begin to understand what you are without trying to change it, then what you are undergoes a transformation. Like all you have to do is watch yourself self-loathe and be like, that's really not helping my cause and slowly stop doing it. Like we don't, I, for years I was overdoing all that. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm a self-loather. I'm going to do five online courses on self-loathing and read three books. And it was just like, just breathe and try not when you're doing it, start doing something, start self-loving, you know, or like, but making it so much more soft than I think. I mean, I'm obviously such a type A person, you know, and like, (laughs) but it's just so helpful. Like you said, just the awareness really will do everything. 
So that's it. That's all you really have to do. And it will all kind of work itself out. It worked for the Buddha. His <laughs> ritual was breathing and he did it 13 years. He sat there and he breathed and he asked, who am I? And learned to separate his mind from how he felt. And, and he was enlightened. He's also a yogi, you know? Um, but okay. So the, <laughs> the eight steps, here we go. So the first one is the yamas and that's the rules. And then you have the niyamas, which are the virtues help us make decisions from now. And that is really, I come to that a lot. Like, like you, I don't know where to go, what to do. Come to those niyamas of which practice or which way is going to help you align with most of those or all of those. And that's, there's your answer. Then you develop your intuition with asana by creating space, getting comfortable and steady, um, moving into pranayama, becoming mindful, learning to concentrate and pratyahara, developing awareness, like what we just talked about. Once you've done that, then you can start acting on your intuition, which is dharana, unblocking and overcoming challenges and dhyana, believing in yourself and trusting in the universe. Mm -hmm. Then you have then you're left to manifest your dream somebody at some point we the time isn't really up to us so whenever that happens it happens but yeah and that's it those are what I believe the eight principles to be in that system mm-hmm Oh, I love that. Thank you for going over that again. I think when we, you and I who've studied it are familiar with it. We talk about it with such a familiar sense that I think some of the nuance or not even the nuance, I think some of the overt obvious gets lost in conversation sometimes. So I think it's just helpful to like really clearly call it Absolutely. out. And, and in the book, I do explain it. I really wrote it for my grandma. So even if you are... Christian or Muslim. I mean, it's non-denominational. It's not, it's not esoteric. And it's also really simplified down so that I felt like I wanted us to see the big picture of it. And then from here, you could decide where you were going to go or which practices were called to you. Because for me, I wasn't ever sure if I should go to physical practice or meditation. And then you hear like chanting Ram Krishna, Ram Krishna, like what's that about? You know? (laughs) So there's so many so many routes we could go even just in the yoga world so this book will help you to realize which ones are for you and how to create a little sequence or a practice or your daily rituals to and those rituals are based on how you want to feel mm. you know not just so you really ask questions also through this whole process how do i want to feel what do i need what is my truth inside why do i want this and really start getting clear on why you're doing what you're doing. And then you can use this system to support you and mm-hmm. that truth. Yeah. Well, what are your daily rituals? Are there, I mean, I think of, I think, let me um, clarify. So I think of, I have non-negotiable morning and evening rituals. And then I have rituals that are more intuitive. Like today I need this because of X. Today, I need that because of why, you know, so there's, I I like to bookend my days with my non-negotiable rituals. And then I let some freedom and flexibility come in based on intuition. So what is your ritual? Like in a day in the life of Corey, (laughs) what does that look like? Lately, it's been all over, but I just like you, Tessa, you know, for the beginner in the book, I wanted to be strict, like Give yourself the time. I mean, I did Vipassana meditation and Ashtanga for many, many years to learn discipline. It gave me a strong discipline. And that taught me 
most people who are coming into yoga for the first time might not have that discipline. So you might have to practice with a different, you know, I, flexibility that you and I obviously are practicing because I practice like you. My biggest struggle in my life is my anxiety. So yes, my breathing practice, my meditation, breath work, this really helps me with that. If I want to stay on a holistic path for healing that, that's what I have to do. Those are my non-negotiables without a doubt. Um, But I've realized that I need confidence right now to put this book out. This is really a scary process for me. And I have gone through and even just, you know, peeked into chapter eight, which is believe and trust and started picking up some of those rituals so I could not see myself as really important in any of this, but more the give it to God, just keep giving it to God. So maybe I need that reminder 10 times a day right now, or an affirmation, you know, that I am worthy. I am whole um, to show up for what I need to show up for today. And so I will just pick uh, what I need, you know, and I am a mom. Most things are happening in the bathtub at this point, more than the yoga mat, you know, like just relaxing, reading astrology podcasts, whatever. But astrology helps me believe in the divinity of all things. It really does. When I realize, like my North node is in the house of Leo, which talks about transformation, sex and rebirth. Isn't that, I mean, I felt like, oh my God, I'm so born to do this, you know? So that might be my ritual. And when I go back to Sri Lanka and I'm not doing interviews and I can go back in my writer's den and just write away, I probably don't, won't need that ritual at that moment either, you know? So yeah. right now they've been really, um, the rituals are harder to be as disciplined to because my son and I have actually been on the road for five months, but no matter what I am breathing. And if I wake up with this anxiety, I'll do extra breathing. And if I feel that there's a lacking, um, which I feel a lot because I'm healing my wound of codependency, then I will use affirmations, you know, that um, whatever I need in that moment. So it's really just a big game of self-exploration. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I keep going back to this idea that it's not linear. I, I think there's this, um, this myth that you practice yoga for a certain prescriptive amount of time. And then suddenly you achieve enlightenment and then you never have to feel bad again. You never have to have a human experience where you're like, Oh, I fucked that up. And I feel bad for what I said. I think there's like this, this misnomer about what this practice does for us and what the end goal is. Is it perfection or is it the ability to embrace your humanness in all of its messy and beautiful glory, right? Or is it somewhere in between? I don't know. I just, I think that we're so used to seeing these beautiful, perfect images of yogis in these very impressive poses or hearing these very inspiring stories about people achieving some level of greatness or success or notoriety based on their practice. But I feel like the we're doing ourselves a disservice by putting people on a pedestal in that way, because we don't understand what's going on behind the lens of of being a human being and having a human experience, right? It's not all perfection. It's it's massive Instagram filter on everything these days, you know, and even like this really um, 
big yogi has been in my life. And, you know, I've studied with her since I was 20 here and there. And then like, yes, you know, I asked her just to endorse my book and to just to give me a quote. And, um, you know, people can do whatever they want for whatever reasons. But yeah, I found it to be like hard to accept that these Instagram yogis, well, a, a couple didn't actually want to help me out in the end. If I was paying to go to the retreat, they answered an email within a day, but even years later. And I was just thinking like, yes, but I look at my yoga teachers nowadays as the books I read. And, you know, maybe you, I read like, so I'm working through codependency. Terry Cole's boundary boss is amazing. Or like um, Mark Groves. But then if I want to learn about other things, oh, the goddesses and Hinduism, I'll get Sally Kempton's books. I'm learning so much through people's true voices and like highly edited versions, such as books or audiobooks, is such a powerful way to um, get the wisdom, I think, without the ego. Because by the time anyone's books comes out, I trust you, there's no ego left. We're all just like, ah, <laughs> take it away. Uh, yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, it takes a tremendous amount of um, strength and courage to put something like that out there and then get all the feedback that you get and the edits that you get and all the iterations. I'm going to put Kitty down. Kitty, go on. Um, but to truly have that compassion. And I think to you can only have compassion for others and value others when you know your worth. It really like even the last chapter of the book, they were like, what's the conclusion? And then I was like, oh, I have to write a conclusion like right at the end. And then <laughs> the only thing I came up with was pretty much like, look at RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know if you've watched that, but it's one of my favorite shows. And, you know, he says on every show or she, um, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Mm. And every week, you know, they, these guys uh, dress up in drag and to be RuPaul's chosen favorite. And they tell of all their struggles that they've overcome, how they have learned to truly love themselves to dance around like this in their drag, no matter what their families thought. And to me, it's been one of the most inspiring things. And I think this is really what enlightenment is waiting for. When we have that much compassion and we have that much self-love and we are truly working from service. And that's why I even brought up that previous yoga teacher because at the end of the day, you know, you think someone's helping you, but then you're, you realize there's so much money involved or, you know, not the truth or they, they have their own struggles, but to, mm -hmm. if we're generating love and compassion and as cliche as it sounds, that is really what all of the dreams and this cycle and all of the eight principles are guiding us towards, at least for me, every single time I cycle through, I realize you actually could love yourself and feel more worthy within yourself is yeah. the realization. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> so. such a lovely message. I love that. <laughs> well, and I want to be mindful of your time. I do, you know, I want to let you, if there's any last thing, any last uh, words of wisdom that you live by that you think would be helpful to share or anything else that I didn't, you know, ask you that is on top of mind, I would love to just hear some last words from you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I hope with this book um, that when people read it, they, they have more compassion for the pain and how painful it is. And I sometimes feel a little bit embarrassed that I feel like I'm talking about my pain all the time, but 
if we could normalize that that's how it works, we don't have to shame it anymore. To be able to say so freely that you feel absolutely rejected, that your husband left you for a six, whatever, you know, like 16 year old, or I don't know, that's pretty gross. Actually, that's illegal, but like, whatever, that didn't happen to me. I'm just saying like, we don't have to shame other people's behaviors. We don't have to shame how we feel. And just to use this cycle to find your way to to loving your life again and loving where you are. And we've all, I think after this COVID experience, just could use, you know, more self-love, more self-compassion. Most yeah. of us don't know exactly where we want to be or what we want to be doing or how we're going to do it. And that's okay. I think that was the whole cosmic purpose of all this, you know? Yeah. So it's been a true awakening. You know, I think you said it. It's like, we realize we know we we realize that we aren't where we want to be. And so it's that, that really painful consciousness to make the choice to do something radically different and to jump into the unknown and to believe that we will land on our feet and that we will always be okay. Yeah. So thank you so much, yeah. Corey. I am, thank you. I can't wait to get my hands on your book. It's yeah. out, it's out right now for sale, right? I can get it is it is a ton. Um, Amazon Books or more sustainably, um, Indiebound and Barnes and Nobles audiobooks, Audible. Yeah, I can't believe it. How cool is that? And um, there's also, you know, I have free meditation programs for anybody who's interested, and I do walk through, you know, yoga in this way. I usually teach these days for, through meditation, through meditation packages and things like that. But so if you want to know, um, of course, get the book and then you want to dive a little deeper. There is that um, extra little um, stuff you can do on my website. And it's all there at santoshasociety.com. Oh, I will link to all of these amazing things that you're doing, all of your offerings. Um, and just thank you so much, Corey. It's been a blessing. Thank you, Tessa. Yes, it has. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address tessa.tovar that's t-o-v as in victor a-r at icloud.com i love to hear from my students and i'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you if you don't listen i don't do this and my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat in particular spreading the word outside of the studio Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.